I don't think I've ever come in to a song like that before. Let's give an amen to the Murdochs and the singers. That is awesome. That is awesome. For the next, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about the subject, Great Expectations. Great Expectations. And what I want you to focus on is number one, we serve an amazing God who has done great things and who wants to continue to do great things in our lives. Number two, we need to get focused for the rest of this year as to how we can be our very best for God. There are 90 days left in the year after today. 90 days. One quarter of the year. And what I want you to think about is how your life can make a difference in God's kingdom these next 90 days. Let's make the most of this. Let's end the year on a high note. Let's not squander this time. Let's show our God that we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And let's focus on making the rest of this year incredibly awesome for him. You know, in, in the Old Testament, from Malachi to Matthew, there were 400 years of silence. No visions, no revelations, no prophets preaching, no miracles, really no expectations. And after all this time had passed, John the Baptist finally comes on the scene and he begins a revival and he begins to talk about Jesus and how there's going to come a great prophet of whose sandals, I don't even have the honor to tie his sandals. He is so awesome. He is so amazing. And the Bible says that as John came on the scene, that the people who had been in a spiritual drought for 400 years were ready for something awesome to happen. And in Luke 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. You know, they were waiting because they'd heard the prophecies of old. And as Peter says in his letter, he says, the prophets searched intently. And he says, angels longed to look into these things. And what they long to look into is what we are now so privileged to be a part of. To be a part of the new covenant. To be a part of life under Jesus. Because though there were so many great men and women of faith who we're going to talk about in a minute, there's one thing they did not have that we do have. They did not have Jesus Christ. And so the Bible and other versions puts through Luke 3.15 this way. He says, as the people were filled with expectation and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. God's word says, God's word version says, people's hopes were rising as they all wondered whether John was the Messiah. 
And then the New English Version says the people were on the tiptoe of expectation, all wondering about John, whether perhaps he was the Messiah. And see, that's how life should be in the New Testament. That's how life should be under the New Covenant. We should be living lives of expectation because God has delivered to us a Savior who's washed away all of our sins, who's given us his Holy Spirit, and who's called us to live lives worthy of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we should come to church with expectation. We shouldn't come to church expecting church to be boring. We should come expecting church to be exciting. Something's gonna happen in this place this morning because Jesus is with us. We should go to church understanding that today, when that sermon is preached, that sermon should be preached with expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to convict hearts. And that people who came in not even knowing that they needed to be saved would turn themselves into God, and Christians who are lukewarm will now come on fire for the Lord. And those who are strong will take it even higher to God's glory. We should pray with expectation, not just boring, simple prayers, but pray with expectation. David said, morning by morning, I lay my request before you, O Lord, and wait in expectation. Are you praying with expectation? Pray with expectation these next 90 days, that when I pray, I'm going to expect God to answer my prayer. Raise your children with expectation. That if I teach and train them in the instruction of the Lord, that they're going to become disciples one day. And that in the end, we will be in heaven together. You've got to expect that. And if they've fallen away, you need to pray with expectation that they're going to come back to the Lord. Expect them to come back. You pray that way. You build your marriage with expectation. That me and this woman, we're going to have the time of our lives together. I expect us to, to work through our difficulties and our arguments and our disagreements. And I expect you to love me with all your heart just like I'm going to love you with all my heart. Because there's no better marriage than being married in Jesus. We need to expect it to be great. You need to go to your next job on interview with ex expectation. I prayed for this job, and if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. Even though there may be other people more qualified than me, I walked in with Jesus beside me, so I'm going to get the job. You give your contribution with expectation. I said you give your contribution with expectation. That God's going to multiply those little dollars that you give and help build this church. I want to encourage you to date with expectation. I said, date with expectation. You go out expecting something to happen. Don't listen to your girlfriends who tell you, oh, ain't nothing going to happen on that date, girl. I don't even know why you're going out. Say, I'm going out with expectation. God, it may, you know, my good friend, Wyndham Shaw, he found his wife. He went on a double date with his best friend. And as he was sitting across the table, with this brother, he realized that the girl that 
he was with was the one that he needed to be with. And that girl was Jeannie Whitehead. And after a few weeks went by, she became his girlfriend. That's how God works. You don't know what's going to happen on a double date. Just go out. Nothing will happen if you don't go. Expectation is what we should have in the Lord's church. We should expect people to get baptized into Christ because of the power of the word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, when Paul is talking about how things are greater in the new covenant than it was during the time of Moses because Moses' radiance was fading. He says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Shouldn't we expect things to be great under Jesus? Now that the Holy Spirit has given life, we all have God's Spirit living in us. And it's not a spirit of timidity, but it's a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. There are to be great expectations in the New York City Church of Christ. Great expectations in Syracuse. Great expectations in Albany. Great expectations in Rochester. Not because we're so great, but because we serve a great God. We serve a God who can take the weak, the shame, the strong. We serve a God who can do miracles in our lives, but we've got to expect miracles if we want to see him move. Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11. The Bible talks about all the great men and women of faith. And Hebrews 11, 32, you know, I'm just blown away by what they accomplished. And it says, and what shall we say further? For time would not fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by the help of faith subdued kingdoms and ministered justice obtained promised blessings, closed the mouths of lions, extinguished the power of raging fire, escaped the devourings of the sword, out of frailty and weakness won strength and became stalwart, even mighty and resistless in battle, routing alien host. Verse 35, it says, Some women received again their dead by a resurrection. Others were tortured to death with clubs, refusing to accept release, offered on the terms of denying their faith so that they might be resurrected to a better life. Others had to suffer a trial of mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were lured with tempting offers to renounce their faith. They were sawn asunder. They were slaughtered by the sword while they were alive. They had to go about wrapped in the skins of sheep and goats, utterly destitute, oppressed, cruelly treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, roaming over the desolate places and mountains and living in caves and caverns and holes in the ground. And all of these, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised because God had in mind and had something better and greater in view 
for all of us. Can I get an amen, church? Should not, should not we take hold of this promise so that they, these heroes and heroines of faith, should not come to perfection apart from us before we could join them. I'm amazed at what they accomplished. And they did it without the complete understanding that we now have under Jesus Christ. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you not just about the fact that we should aspire the great expectations that our God has called us to great things, but how do we do it? How do we achieve the great expectations God has for us? How do we now live by faith and give glory to God as the great men and women of faith of old did? How do we do that? Well, I think the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, Bible says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The scriptures go on and say, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose faith. So these next 90 days, I want you to focus on these three things. And this is how we can achieve great expectations to God's glory. Number one, throw off everything that hinders. I didn't say throw off some of the things that hinder. Or every now and then throw off some of the things that hinder. He says, throw off whatever hinders everything. What's hindering you spiritually? What's keeping you right now from being your very best for God? What's standing in your way from you being excellent to God's glory? What's keeping you from Jesus being able to say, well done? You're striving with all your heart to please me. No, God doesn't expect any of us to be perfect, but he does expect us to give our best to him. And so we've got to be willing to throw off any and everything that's standing in our way of being the very best we can be for Jesus. Satan is trying to ruin God's expectations for your life. You know, one of my great Bible heroes is found there in Hebrews 11, Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph was well built and handsome, the envy of, of most brothers. And Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. And she went after him and, and she tried to lure him and she said, look, why don't you come and, and, and go to bed with me? She, she tried to, to bring him down. And in Genesis 39, verse 10, the Bible says this, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. That's how radical he was about sin. He didn't play around with it. He didn't entertain it. 
He didn't say, oh, girl, uh, uh, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit. And, you know, no, he said, woman, get behind me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm going to honor God and I, I'm not even going to give you the time of day. That's how you deal with sin. I think too many of us, we're playing with sin. And we don't realize one bad decision, one sin, one attitude that you don't deal with, one foolish moment of indulgence can ruin your life. Ask King David, ask, ask Samson, ask Solomon. Let's stop playing around with sin. Really the word that the Hebrew writer uses here simply means to, 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 to put aside or throw away. It's the same word that's used in Acts 8 when Stephen is dragged outside the city. The Bible says they dragged him outside the city. It's the same word that's used when it says throw off sin. And what the scriptures are saying is that you got to tell sin, you're not welcome in my town. You drag it out and you keep it out. Because this is a not, not about you're being accountable to some other person. This is about us being accountable to God. What's your secret life like as a Christian? I know what your public life is like. I see you today. But what's your secret life like? Colossians chapter 3 says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, these things aren't even hardly talked about in church anymore. We've, we've gone silent on these things. And we can never be the best that we should be for God until we throw these things off. Until we, until we decide to deal with these things. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself. Same word when he says throw off. The same word that's used in Hebrews is used right here. Throw, now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. For the next 90 days... Make a decision that you will throw off anything that hinders your growth in Christ. For the next 90 days, do not miss a church service. So, well, Sam, you got to tell us that we need to be at church on Sundays? Yes, I do. For the next 90 days, do not miss a midweek service. We're trying to get something done for God. We need you to be there when the body is meeting. For the next 90 days, commit yourself to a discipling relationship and make it happen. Get with somebody and open up about your spiritual life. For the next 90 days, confess and repent of your sins. Don't sit around having a pity party saying, woe is me. We're saved by the grace of God. The minute you go before God and says, I'm sorry, it's already wiped away. Take advantage of the grace of God these next 90 days and walk in holiness. These next 90 days, commit yourself to the reason that you're in. In other words, I don't want to see you reason hop in the next 90 days. Get in a reason, stay in a reason, make something happen in that region. That's the only way we can go forward. 
some of us like, well, all the regions need me. No, they do not. Stay where you are and find out what's going on and help that region to move forward. The next 90 days, pray for God to lead you to an open soul. Pray, God, use me, help me, guide me, lead me to someone who wants to know you. These next 90 days, give your contribution every week. Say, well, Sam, I don't give weekly. I give bi-weekly. Every bi-weekly then. I don't give bi-weekly. I give every month. Give every month then. Do not miss these next 90 days. Let's turn this thing around and throw off any and everything that hinders us. Point number two, run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. This is how we're going to achieve great things. Can you persevere for the next 90 days? Abraham had to wait 25 years to see his promise come true. Joshua marched around in the desert for 40 years before he went into the promised land. Noah was called to build an ark, and there are different accounts by different scholars, but it took at least 50 years for him to build that ark before the flood came. And they just hung in there year after year, day after day, until God blessed them. And here is the, the real challenge I want to give you. No matter what happens these next 90 days, don't quit on God. No matter what happens, to achieve great expectations, you can't give up. If your region leader loses his mind and says things to you that are not of Christ, don't quit. You pray for him to get out of there, but you make sure you stay where you're supposed to be. Don't quit these next 90 days. If your wife does poorly spiritually and she doesn't take care of you, and instead of offering up love, she offers up burnt offerings to you, you hang in there, man. Don't you give up on that woman. Hang in there these next 90 days and God will bless it. If your parents fall short of your expectations. Sam, if you just knew what my parents were like at home, they're not. Don't you give up on God. Don't walk away from God because your parents are not what they need to be. You stay committed to Jesus these next 90 days. You know, when I was here last time, last expo service, I saw a sister in the fellowship from the Bronx ministry. She was crying. She just finished this conversation with her boyfriend. And I said, are you okay? And she said she couldn't even talk. Just tears flowing up. And then I asked him what was going on. He said, well, we decided to break up today. Well, basically, he decided to break up with her. And, uh, and I said, you're going to be okay? And she walked away. And that was her last service with the New York City Church of Christ. She gave up. Now, let me tell you, just, just while we're on this, just a little insight on dating. Usually the first person you go study with is not the one. That's just a trial. Okay? 
it usually takes two or three times of messing it up before you find the right one. Am I right? And sometimes you have to go back to the one that you dated before because you didn't get it right. When I first met Cynthia, I had a girlfriend, but I sure was impressed with her. I didn't know how God was going to move, but I, I had a girlfriend and God fixed the whole thing. And I'm so thankful he did. And when me and my girlfriend broke up, I did not quit on Jesus. I kept on going to church. I kept on reading my Bible. And God blessed me with the most awesome woman in the world because I decided to stay here. Don't quit. Don't quit. If your heart gets broken, don't quit. Don't give up on God because some fool didn't realize how awesome you were. You just keep on walking. You keep on doing what you know is right. Don't quit because of some other sinner. They're not worth it. You need to be here for Jesus. You need to be here for God. You're here because you want to get to heaven and you can't get to heaven if you give in to disappointment and hurt. I'm going to predict something here. You stay around in the kingdom, you're going to get hurt. Cynthia and I have been married 36 years. I have hurt her, and she's told me, I've never wanted to give up on you, but I've wanted to kill you quite a few times. That's what you do in marriage. You learn to put up with each other. Because whenever you get two, whenever you get two sinners in a confined space, things gonna go wrong. But I tell you what, I'm hanging in there with this woman, and she's hanging in there with Jesus, and I'm hanging in there with Jesus. And let me tell you, after 36 years, it's better than it's ever been. Because when we went through the hard times, we did not quit. My Christian life is better than it's ever been because I did not quit. In 2003, some people tried to get me to quit, but I said, I'm not quitting because I didn't get here because of people. I'm going to do the right thing. Tell somebody next to you. Tell them, don't quit. Tell them. Tell them on your left, don't quit. Tell them in front of you, behind you, don't you ever quit. You know, in the church, we have a statistic there's, on the stat sheet, there's a, there's a, you know, we got baptism, but, but there's a line that says, stop attending. We, we, we're one of the few churches that keep up with the people that don't come anymore. I want to challenge you these next 90 days. And that, don't, that stop attending category, it needs to be zero. That no one in here walks away from God or the kingdom of God. Says, well, Sam, I'm not walking away from God. I'm walking away from the kingdom. Well, look, you just as messed up as we are. Where are you going to go? Someplace else? Wherever you go, there's going to be problems because you're going to be there. So you might as stay here with us. Stay here with us. And let's do the right thing. My last point. My last point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. No matter how hard you've had it, nobody had it harder than Jesus. All his friends deserted him. Even God the Father turned his back on him. But he hung in there. No one gave more than Jesus. No more. No one denied himself to the extent that Jesus did where he sacrificed himself and he did it by faith, not even knowing if we would respond. But he stepped out believing that we were worth it. That's the kind of savior that we worship today. You've got, I've got to fix my eyes on Jesus. You know, sometimes we get so distracted. It's like, people driving and texting and my wife is always telling me don't Sam don't don't pick up that phone while you're driving look at this 1.6 million crashes 330,000 injuries one out of every four accidents are because people are distracted while they're driving some of you don't drive yet and we, we thank God that you're not on the road yet but when you when you get on the road keep your eyes where on the road too many times in, our, in, in the church, there's spiritual fatalities and casualties because people get distracted. We prioritize, we put other things before Jesus, our career, relationships, academics. Let me say something to the parents here right now. As you raise your kids, there are a lot of distractions. Sports, how they're gonna get good grades, what college they're gonna go to, and too often, we take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes on secular achievement. And it's like, will my kid get in this school? Will my kid play this sport or whatever? And some of us, we even allow our kids to miss church for sports activities. Stay home from church to do homework. You're sending the wrong message. You're not helping them keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, Cynthia and I, we raised two kids in the church. We didn't do it perfectly. We made mistakes. But one thing we never did was allow sports and school to come before church, to come before God. Our children understood the most important thing in our life is Jesus. And that's what you sacrifice for. Oh, I know, I know I'm getting into a, a, a shaky area here. I know how it is. Oh man, he, I want my kids to go to Ivy League school. Well, let me tell you something. My kids never missed church for those activities and my daughter graduated from an Ivy League school. And my oldest daughter graduated from law school, not because we're so great, but because we trusted God that we will never allow the things of this world to come before Jesus. And whether they become Christians or not, one thing I want them to know, mom and dad love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the hope that you have to give them if they're ever going to come around. We need to get radical about this. Most of the kids in our church, teenagers, are not Christians. We got to fix that. It starts with us as parents. What is it going to take? It's going to take sacrifice. You can't accomplish something great 
without sacrifice. We're never better as disciples and never better as human beings than when we sacrifice. And so I'm going to call the church as we come to a close here. Here's my challenge to you. It's time to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. Give up something. Step forward. Make your Christianity real. Make your relationship with God real. And it's real when you're sacrificing. This is what Jesus was all about. I stuck my neck out in 2012. I gave a message at the conference in San Antonio. And before we'd even finished taking up our missions contribution, I told 18,000 people, I said, the, the New York disciples are going to give a million dollars. Man, I, I stuck my neck out there. And, and for all y'all, I, stu I stuck my neck out there. <laughs> and you know what? We did it. And we've done it every year since then. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out there again today. We need to move forward. We need to add more people to our staff. We need to make sure that money is not an obstacle to us providing the workers that we need to baptize more of our teens, to baptize more of our college students, to baptize more of our singles. We need full-time workers, and we're going to do it. And so here's the challenge. Give a little more. If you can, give $5 more per week. If you can't, give whatever you can. First of all, if you're not giving, give something. In most churches, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the members. Give something. You see, if we all sacrifice, look at this picture here. If we all sacrifice, if we join hands, we can save the world. I'm trying to get the photo up there of the Houston flood. They helped save people. They couldn't do it individually. But as they joined hands, they rescued people. That's my challenge to us today. Will you join us? Will you help us save a drowning world, a world that's drowning in sin? Will you help us save them and bring them to Jesus? You know, as we close out here, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I think of brothers and sisters from all the different regions who are now in heaven looking down on us. Clarence Taylor, Lucia Weber, Byron Raymond, Melissa Hafner, Glenn Kennard, Iris Sweeney, Elaine Chow, Roy Murdoch, Louise White, Patricia Richardson, Donna Marie Antoine, Lorraine Westervelt, and our great brother, Nietzsche Ogawa. They're in heaven. We're surrounded by them. They're looking down on us, and you know what they're saying? Come on, New York. Come on, New Jersey. Come on, Syracuse. Come on, Rochester. Come on, Albany. Come on. Run the race.
sometimes when you're down, but it's worth it. We're here. We're looking down on you. We believe in you. You can do it. Run the race. God has great expectations. As they look down on us, let's continue to move forward because one day we will join them all together. And we will spend eternity together and our God will say to all of us, you finished that race. You kept the faith. Well done, good and faithful servant. God bless.